Amen. Man, church, good morning. Aren't you glad to be here today? Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. Uh, if you're new around here, my name is Mark. I'm director of Next Steps, and so I love helping connect people with Jesus and with one another. Uh, and so if I can help you in any way as you begin the journey with Jesus here, reach out. Uh, send me an email, schedule a time for coffee, catch me in the lobby. Let me know how I can help you uh, find and follow Jesus here. That would be amazing. We're continuing in our series today, Conversations with God, and we're launching in to week two today. And I want to start that with a, with a statement that I think you'll come to agree with as we go through this morning. Here's the statement. Our thoughts drive our feelings and our behavior. Our thoughts drive our feelings and our behavior. And, and you know this to be true because have you ever done something dumb? Oh, you laughed, right? Of course we have. You've done something silly or dumb and you thought, what was I thinking? Right, there's a famous country song. The whole song is, what was I thinking right we know this to be true when we do something we almost always reflect back and think what was i thinking in that moment you see what we're thinking drives our feelings how we think how we feel about it and ultimately how we act upon that let me maybe give it to you in a graphic here you see our thoughts maybe what we believe about something in turn kind of produces some feelings, some emotions about something, which then drives our behavior. You know this to be true, right? We tell our kids, think before you do something. Well, they were thinking, just it wasn't in that moment. They had some beliefs and some thoughts already built up that made them do something. And that's the same way when you react in a situation, you have a thought about that or a belief that triggered that action. You just maybe weren't clear on that. In the moment, let me put this in perspective here. Uh, I'm married and celebrating 15 years this upcoming weekend. So excited about that. Yeah, thank you. Celebrate my wife. We could put up with 15 years and uh, amazing, right? And I love my wife. I tend to think about her. I tend to believe that she uh, is out of my league, um, that, that I married out of my league. And if you know my wife and how uh, just pleasant she is and what a great personality she has and a caring heart you would agree with me and and that makes me feel very honored and grateful that she chose to spend her one life with me think about that if you're married your spouse chose to spend the one life they get with you that should make you feel incredibly honored amen and grateful that someone would spend their life with you and so what does that make me do Right? I, it makes me act upon that. I, I love her and I serve her and, and try to take care of her and, and take care of our kids and work together, right? What I think and believe about my wife creates emotion and then I act upon that. And that's a good thing. But there's something really troublesome here. And that is that our thoughts are jacked. Have you ever had a weird thought? If you ever had a thought, you're like, where did that come from? You see, the problem is our thinking has been interrupted by sin. Our thinking gets twisted and corrupted because of sin. Sin has affected everything. And so often the thoughts we have and the beliefs we develop have been influenced 
by sin. And, and here's what that might look like in, in, in marriage, right? I, I think my wife is awesome, but I mean, I don't think I'm a complete loser. I appreciate some things she does, but in our house, we have like two methods of cleaning. One is put it in the drawer where it came from. The other is just stack it up until it falls over. And I'll let you guess which one she is. Sometimes I get frustrated because I'm like, why is there a stack of things here? This is not where this belongs. It should be in the cabinet where like we built cabinets for these items. Doesn't make any sense. And so what happens? I start to feel a little bit bitter. Of course, I'll never voice that because I'll keep my feelings secretive and inside so that one day I blow up and it makes no sense. And we're both like, what's going on? And it's been building for weeks. You know this cycle, right? So what you're thinking and feeling, you know, drives your actions. And so sometimes our thinking gets twisted and corrupted and it's a result of sin. Sometimes my sin, sometimes sin collectively just distorts what we think and believe about things. And I'm wondering if we, if you agree with me that our thoughts, our beliefs drive our feelings and emotions, which create behaviors, is it possible that that same pattern holds true with prayer? All right, here, here's a question for us to consider this morning. Is it possible how we think or what we believe about prayer determines how we pray? If what we think drives our feelings and then our actions, is it possible how we think or what we believe about prayer will actually drive what type of prayer we engage in? That's what I kind of want to unpack this morning. I want to look at this question and and I want to do so by going to a parable that Jesus told. Now, if you're new to the Bible, a parable is a story that Jesus would tell to illustrate a point, usually some sort of moral teaching he was trying to get across. And the parable I want to look at today comes out of the Gospel of Luke. And so let's read this. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, pause. A Pharisee is a, a religious group at that time of like a very well known, well educated religious leaders. So he's there, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. I am not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's a lot going on in this story, but let's take it from just a parable that Jesus told to like right now. Two guys walk into church this morning. That sounds like a start of a bad joke. Um, but two guys walk into church. They're in the same, the same row. One guy steeped in church history and church world, maybe grew up in the church, has prayed their whole life, can, I mean, just pray on the spot. They, they know things. And five seats down is a guy who came to the church for the first time. And it comes time to pray, and the religious man starts to pray out loud, and he says, God, thank you for how good you have made my life. Thank you for how much you have blessed me. Please forgive the man down the road from me, for he clearly doesn't know how to dress for church, and he's been on his phone the whole time. God, please help me not to go as low as that man. And you think to yourself, would anyone actually do that? I surely hope not, right? But you might be surprised what we really think inside when we interact with new people. 
But that guy that came to church for the first time comes time to pray and he's like, God, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to pray. All I know is I, I think I need some forgiveness because I've done some things in life. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the situation, the context that he set up. He's juxtaposing these two guys and their prayer life, and he's got some teachings he wants to give us about prayer. And when I, when I read that parable and I think about that situation, my question is, what were they thinking? Right? What was going on in the Pharisee's mind that caused him to pray the way he did? And what was going on in the tax collector's mind that caused him to pray the way that he did? And, and I wonder if the Pharisee maybe thought these things about prayer. Maybe he thought prayer was a religious ritual. And who better to perform a religious ritual than a well-educated religious man? So maybe he thought prayer is supposed to be this ritual and this guy is not following the rules and I need to show him what that looks like. Maybe the Pharisee thought prayer was a way to prove himself to God. We, we all want to be viewed favorably by God. Right, we all want to, to be worth, worth something. And so maybe he thought, hey, prayer is a way for me to prove to God that I am worthy. So I'll list out some of my accomplishments. Uh, maybe the Pharisee thought that prayer was a way to inflate himself above this tax collector. And, and when you hear tax collector, we're not talking like IRS, right? This anonymous governing body that takes your money. Tax collectors were personal in this time period. You would have known this man. The Pharisee would have known who this guy was. And this, you would have come face to face with your tax collector pretty regularly. And generally, they would steal your money. They would give to Rome what Rome deserved, and then they would take a percentage and keep it over here. So maybe he thought, hey, I need to let this guy know who he really is in God's eyes. Maybe the Pharisee thought prayer was a way to jockey for position as a better child of God. And actually, we see this kind of in another place. The disciples are following Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, when you go to heaven, can I like sit at your right hand? They're jockeying for position with Jesus. Maybe that's what the Pharisee was doing with God. And maybe he thought prayer was more about him than about God. It's something God gave me to do. And so I'm doing this and it's about me, not about God. I'm speculating what might have been going on in the mind of the Pharisee. Let me ask you this morning, are there any thinking errors or barriers you've created in regards to prayer? You know, the cycle of thinking and feeling and doing creates sometimes some thinking errors and creates this cycle that you go through where you're like, I mean, I just, I can't break this cycle of whatever I'm doing. And I'm wondering maybe if there's any thinking errors in your mind or any barriers you've created regarding prayer. And I'll share with you some things that have been barriers in my life over time, some thinking errors I've had about prayer over time. And maybe you find yourself believing one of these too. And so maybe for you, Prayer has become a religious ritual. And depending on your faith background, that may apply to you more than others. Some faith traditions, you memorize prayers and you pray a certain order of prayers in a certain row in a pattern in order to uh, come closer to God. And maybe for you, prayer is kind of, it's a religious ritual. And, and how you feel about that means you feel dutiful, you feel an obligation, you feel like it's a sacrament, a job something that you are required to do. And what happens is you are probably very faithful prayers. 
but your prayers don't have a whole lot of meaning when you say them. They're just things you say in a row. And if you really were to step back, you, you would realize, I don't even remember what I prayed. I just have memorized this, this prayer. So maybe for you, prayer is supposed to be ritualistic. And so you, you feel dutiful and you do it, but it lacks meaning. Maybe you've struggled to think that prayer should be very formal. Right, it should be thought out. Who would go in front of the God of the universe, the God that spoke out existence and say, uh, so I'm uh, thinking these things. Right, shouldn't I be more formal in front of someone like that? Like a king, like I should come before him with special voice and words and speak a certain way so that I honor him. That prayer should be very formal. And what you probably end up feeling, what I felt in that scenario was very inadequate and kind of dejected. And so what ends up happening is I pray very you might pray very infrequently because you just don't feel like you've got the language to talk to God. Maybe you've struggled with thinking that prayer has to be sort of set apart and special. Like it's got to be this carved out thing that's compartmentalized. Prayers here, works here, kids activities are here and then prayer here. And, and so you're like, well, I just, I don't have the time to pray at the length I need to. And so what happens, you start to feel guilty. And you actually feel more shameful about your prayer life than you do encouraged by your prayer life. And so what you'll tend to do is probably pray prayers that are impersonal and lack honesty because you're just, you're, you feel guilty. And you're like, I don't, I don't know what to do with prayer. I don't know how to do it. Maybe, I know I've fallen in here, little things aren't that important. Does God really care if I have a good day? Does God really care if I get the parking spot that I desire? Does God really care if my son makes a good grade on that assignment? And if you pull that out to the extreme, I'm, I'm just one life in a sea of billions of people over time. And isn't everything little compared to God? And so maybe my whole life is little. And so what you might end up feeling is just unworthy of prayer. And so you avoid it. Because God doesn't really care about what's going on. He has bigger things to worry about than my silly little prayers. Maybe for you, prayer is valuable, but action is better. How many of us have struggled with this, right? One guy sits over there and prays and the other guy goes and gets it done. And you're like, well, I'd rather just go get it done and I'll pray afterwards. And it becomes an afterthought. You think of prayer more as like a burden than a way to access God's access God's blessings. And it may come across, you know, you forget to pray for dinner. So you thank God afterwards, you didn't choke. That's kind of the, the analogy, right? You're thankful that God was there, but you didn't really approach him ahead of time. You just went and got it done because things need to get done. And maybe you've struggled with feeling worthy of talking to God, right? Depending on the things you've done in life, sometimes you carry that into a relationship with God and you're like, I'm just not even, God wouldn't want to hear from me. I'm too dirty. There's too much going on. And so you feel unworthy and fearful and guilty. And so you avoid prayer because nobody wants to do anything that creates guilt or shame. And so you avoid praying it all. And could, I, could we keep going for sure? Right, these are just some examples of some twisted, perhaps corrupted thoughts that we have regarding prayer and certain feelings that come from that and then makes us pray or not pray in a certain way. And so you might be thinking, okay, Mark, I, I get what you're saying so far. You're basically saying some of us have some twisted views on prayer. And if we want to pray a more healthy way, we should just clear up our thinking. And that's kind of what I'm saying. Right, I, I, the longer I journey in life, the more I realize a lot of the hard work is done up here. It's trying to untangle 
You, you know what I mean? Try to understand what in the world is going on in this head of mine. And, and maybe you feel the same. Got to unpack what's really going on in there. And so I want to spend time looking at how we think about prayer. And here's the kind of the key when it comes to changing the way you think, changing what you believe. You have to insert something into that cycle. So to change your thinking, to change your behavior, ultimately, you have to subject your thoughts to truth. You have to address the inappropriate thinking with something that is true. And we find truth in the scripture, the ultimate source of truth. And so if you want to address some corrupted thought in your life, you do that by looking at truth and applying it to that. Paul tells early Christians this in Corinthians. He says, we demolish arguments. Where do arguments live in here? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We grab a hold of it and we subject it to the truth and it changes our thinking and our beliefs. He he tells uh, the Romans this, he says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So how do we do that? How do we subject some truth into what our thoughts are in regards to prayer? And I think Jesus gives us a little window into that in the parable that he shares. So we looked at the Pharisee. Here's kind of what he was thinking. Let's look back at what the tax collector said. So let's look back at what the tax collector did. He said, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What is so so pure? What is so true about what this tax collector is saying? I mean, you think about it, Jesus is basically upholding a simple prayer of confession more than a religious prayer, a holy prayer of righteousness. He was saying, I I find this sinner's prayer more compelling than I do this Pharisee's prayer. And you got to think about his audience. They would have been like, this this would have been earth shattering truth being subjected into their thinking cycle, right? They've spent decades developing this way well, hundreds of years, developing this way of thinking. And here comes Jesus. Ah, let me interject some new truth to you. And I think what Jesus is admiring about this tax collector's prayer, if you're taking notes or if you want to walk away with one thing today, it would be these two words. Here's what I think Jesus is really trying to get across. Our prayers should be full of honesty and confession. Why does Jesus uphold this guy's prayer Versus this guy's prayer and illustrate you should pray this way because this guy's prayer was honest and confessional. And I wonder if that kind of stirs God's heart. Jesus was more pleased with an honest prayer of confession than the holy prayer of this righteous man. In fact, Jesus concludes it. He says it this way at the end of the parable. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home and justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
And so I think it's a fair question for us to ask ourselves this morning, how honest are our prayers? How honest are your prayers? How often do you confess before God? How often do I confess before God? I think honesty and confession are things God values. And Jesus is kind of illustrating that in this parable. You see, I think honesty and confession position our hearts appropriately when we're talking to God. Honesty and confession position our hearts appropriately. Uh, Raise your hand if you have kids or grandkids. Keep your hand up if they ask you for stuff. I see a lot of hands up, right? Kids ask questions that you generally don't have answers to because they're completely random. So what do they do now? They go and run, ask Alexa because she has more answers. Anyways, um, your kids ask you questions and they ask for things. That's just what children do. There's like an, they're inhibited. There's, there's no inhibitions. Like they just ask, right? So I'm trying to imagine a scenario where my nine-year-old comes to me and he says, oh, dear dad, I know you are all powerful in this house. I know you control all things, oh, dear dad. Oh, dear dad, you know how hard I work in school, dear dad, and how much I love you and my sister, dear dad. And if it be your will, oh, dear dad, I have a request of you. And you're laughing because I know what you're thinking. Your your questions, what do you want? You're buttering me up. You're laying it on pretty thick, kid. You know this. If your child came to you, a nine-year-old came to you and talked that way, you would be like, "This, this is awkward. Where did you learn this? Right, I, I think maybe I'd be more pleased if my nine-year-old came to me and said, uh, hey, Dad, I, I know I haven't always taken really good care of my bike, but, but I'd really like a new one, um, and I'll try to take better care of that one. Hear the honesty and confession? I'm still going to say no because I have the authority to do that. I don't want you to hear me today as saying if you're honest and confess with God, he'll give you everything you ask for. That's, that's, that's not fair. He still has the authority. He still has the power to decide what is best for your life. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I think he is pleased with us when we are honest and when we confess to him, much like we're pleased when our children do that with us. And so honesty and confession, I think, are incredible keys to kind of unlocking a healthier prayer life. Maybe honesty and confession in our prayer should be something we do more often. And you may ask yourself, well, where can I find examples? Where could I read some examples of some honest prayers that involve confession? And my immediate thought goes to King David in the Old Testament. Uh, If you have a Bible at home, you can find the Psalms real easily. Take your book, find the middle, turn it open, and you're in Psalms. Uh, If you have a Bible app, you just gotta thumb through it. And if you're new to the faith and you don't have your own Bible at home, take the one out of the seat back. You're not stealing, you can have that. Take that Bible home with you and use it. But I think if you went to the Psalms, you would find a lot of examples of a guy who was very honest and confessed a lot of things. And he, he was kind of a man's man. He was an outdoors man. And he, he prayed a lot. And he prayed honest prayers of confession. And we don't have time to go through tons of examples. But maybe let's, let's kind of survey some things that maybe David would include in his prayer. So what did David, what was David honest about? You see, David was honest about his joy in life. He lived a life of joy, but he also was honest about excitement of things to come, of some things that he was hoping God would do. And he was also very honest about his depression and anxiety at times. Uh, David 
lived kind of a roller coaster life at times. And he did some things that uh, were sinful and displeased God. And he was honest with God about that, about how depressed he would feel or how anxious he would feel at times about his worries and his fears. He would be honest about his frustration with others, as specifically those who didn't follow God at that time. He would be very honest with God about what he wanted God to do to, to his enemies. And you can read in there some of just the real honest things that he would ask God to do to his enemies. And But he was honest. It doesn't mean God did all that. God didn't do everything David asked, but he still was honest with him. He was thankful. He, he, he was honest about his thankfulness for creation. When he was out side, he would thank God for his creation. There's all kinds of poetry that David wrote about just the beauty of God's creation. He was honest about his appreciation for how God had provided for him his whole life, right? Prayers of honesty. And, and what did David confess about? What were in his prayers? And you see, David confessed his sins, all right? One of the things we need to practice regularly is confessing our sins before God. And not just like, you know, what we typically think of as like the big sins of my past that God's forgiven me from. We sin regularly. And a lot of times it's happening up here, right? How we think about someone or about a situation. Maybe we should pray a prayer of confession and repentance about that. Maybe we, we confess bitterness. He confessed frustration. He confessed his strongholds. The things that would just get in his life that just kept becoming stumbling blocks and, and were things that he had a hard time Overcoming, He would confess that. He would confess when he wandered or strayed from his relationship with God. And so I think it's fair for us to ask ourselves this morning, what do we need to be honest with God about? What is something you need to be honest about with God? What is something I need to be honest about with God? What do you need to confess to God today? I mean, when was the last time you had an honest confessional prayer with God. And for some of you who are kind of steeped in church tradition, you probably play, pray pretty regularly. You would say you have a good rhythm of prayer, but what is the content of your prayers? Maybe you need to insert some honesty and confession into your prayer life. And if you're just getting started in the faith, I would encourage you to start with honesty and confession. You don't have to have special words or, or a certain rhythm. Just go to God and be honest about what's going on in your life and confess the things that you feel need to be confessed. I think that's what Jesus was trying. One of the things he was trying to illustrate in this parable, he found the honest confessional prayer very pleasing. David modeled Honesty and confession, and David was called a man after God's own heart. So I think something God really values that stirs his heart is honesty with him and with others in confession and prayer. I want to close with a story I read this week. Uh, it's a book that I enjoy reading from time to time, and it tells a story about this uh, young lady who was cleaning her house. And uh, she had several little kids and she was doing the regular, you know, chore stuff and getting the house cleaned up and all that. And she just had this moment of exhaustion and this realization, I need Jesus. And if you're a parent, you know that feeling, right? The moment of exhaustion where your kids have destroyed your house and you're like, oh, dear Jesus, I need you. 
right? I, I'm, I don't, if I have to clean up one more mess, I don't know what I'm gonna do. You know that feeling of like revelation of I need Jesus. And she was so compelled by, just so moved by that realization that she wrote it down. And her name was Ann Hawks. And she actually wrote that in 1857. And, and in the language of 1857, she wrote that down as, I need thee every hour. That's how she said it. I need thee every hour. And she took that line to her pastor at church and some other writers came around her and they end up writing a hymn has been well known in church history called, I need thee every hour. And I wanna read to you her prayer of confession. I think the hymn they wrote really is a prayer of honesty and confession. So just listen as I read some of the lines from this hymn. She says, I need thee every hour, most gracious God. No tender voice like yours can peace afford. Temptations lose their power when you are near. I need thee every hour in joy or pain. Come quickly and abide or life is vain. I need thee every hour, most holy one. Make me yours indeed, thou blessed son. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my savior. I come to thee. And we're gonna sing a modern arrangement of that song that the writers pulled from this hymn to write and And during this time, I wanna encourage you to take time and practice a prayer of honesty and confession. It doesn't require special words. It's just be honest with God. What is something in your life, in your heart that you just need to be honest about and confess to him? Maybe you sing this song as a prayer. I know I've done that personally numerous times with this very song that we're gonna sing. Maybe you choose to stay seated or you kneel to pray. Maybe you want to come down and kneel at the steps or we'll have some uh, some volunteers over here in the corner, some of our elders that would love to just help you pray a prayer of honesty and confession before our God. But take the next several moments and let's practice some honesty and confession as we declare to God, I need thee every hour. I need thee. Let's pray and sing together. Thank you. 